The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck features non-absorbent closed-cell PE EVA blended foam that delivers the perfect combination of comfort, safety, and style. For more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. Your boat deserves SeaDeck. And now, it's showtime. The official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 146 of the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm Dan Lomano, the noise of the North, recording this time back up north, but now from the Diamond Suites, Harry Price Studio One, just outside Chicago, Illinois. And for those of you who are new here, well, I'm here to provide you with your bi-weekly dose of audio sunshine. And wouldn't you know it, it's about that time again. Oh, Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Midcoast Customs. If you're looking for the best all-around professional vinyl wrap shop specializing in commercial vehicle wraps, custom graphics, wall wraps, and boat wraps, then Midcoast Customs is what and who you need. Based out of Rockford, Illinois, they are 3M preferred installers who have been leading the way in vinyl wrap installation for years I know this because I have worked with Jarrell and his team personally because all banners, signage, and a large graphic work, including boat wraps, have been used in multiple Feet on Fire events since 2005, Thigh High Surf Series, and of course, Twin Lakes Corn Fest. They have an amazing eye for detail and they guarantee all their work, whether you have one car or a fleet of 100 vehicles to wrap or you want to make your wakeboard boat that much more unique and special, Midcoast Customs have got you covered, and I mean that literally, all wrapped up. To see their work and get a quote, head on over to midcoastcustoms.com. That's M-I-D-C-O-A-S-T hyphen customs.com. Guys, if you're listening to this podcast and haven't left us a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcast, how about you pause this episode and take care of that right now? Well, your positive reviews and five-star ratings help increase the visibility of this podcast and in turn, our entire sport, so it's a win all around. In fact, I want to pay it forward right now by recommending that you all check out the Ski Show podcast hosted by Matt Heilman and Adam Schaller, uh, who've been dropping some killer content over the past few months. Their interviews with legends like Scotty Clack and Matt the Cat May are essential listens for all water sports fans, as well as the current names like show skiing's Rachel Zink and Ethan Shoulder and the Kohler sisters. I grew up show skiing in Wisconsin, so this show hits home. 
Go ahead and check those guys out if you haven't already. It's The Ski Show, and I'm sure however you're listening to me right now, you can hear them the same way, or just check them out on iTunes, whatever. I also want to remind you all that in addition to listening and sharing all 146 episodes of this, the Golden Mike podcast, straight from iTunes and Apple Podcasts, we are also available on many, many, many different podcast listening applications for Android devices, also on SoundCloud.com and our website, noiseofthenorth.com, so you can share me in so many different ways. I've been trying to stay pretty active on social media. You can share there as well. Go ahead and follow the Golden Mike Podcast on Facebook and my personal Instagram at Dano T. Mano. Our guest today is the original Dan O. That's right, Dan Olson. And the Olson family name has always been present in my world for at least 20 years now. Dan's brother Tim was a legend among many of the boys, not only in the show ski circles, but respected by many of the riders, especially down in central Florida. Dan's parents were and still are highly involved in the world of amateur show skiing. And then Dan a.k.a. Dan O. And in 2017 at Feed on Fire South, Dan took me out in round number two and in a gentleman-style bet over endurance-style barefooting, he won his moniker as the original Dan O, which I was certainly not upset about considering his legend status industry-wide and how nice of a guy he is in general. And the reality is his name is Dan and his last name starts with an O, So that was that. Currently, Dan is working in Central Florida, now for one of Mastercraft Boat's most respected dealers, Action Marine. Dan has represented some of the biggest brands in our industry, including Conley, Radar Skis, and Ronix, among many others. But all that was following an insane amateur and professional career in towed water sports spanning three plus decades and multiple disciplines and styles and he helped evolve freestyle jumping to the next generation. Dan has overcome some absolutely huge life hurdles and is one of the most humble, hardworking, and dedicated individuals I know. We will jump into all of his credentials in water skiing as well as talk about his charity efforts through the Olson Project, which he founded just a couple of years ago as he was faced with really heavy medical battles. We talk all about it. But like I said, Dan has been a sales rep for a lot of our favorite water sports companies, including Ronix. Over the last decade, Ronix has become one of the most well-respected brands in the industry. They have a team roster composed of living legends, current contest killers, and some of the coolest people to ever get behind a boat. Combine that with their ever-evolving, top-of-the-line products for all levels of riders and lake enthusiasts as well, Ronix continues to raise the bar to new heights while always delivering exceptional quality. Check out their Instagram page at Ronix Wakeboards. It's among the best in the game and loaded with content uh, from the likes of our last episode's guest, Tyler Hyam, and so many more. Head on over to RonixWake.com to find your next favorite board as well. All right, let's get into it. I'm talking about our interview with the original Dan O. 
Dan Olson, right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Oh, yeah. Welcome, welcome to the original Dan O. Born that way, right? That is correct, sir. Dan. Born that way, all the way from birth. That's right. Dan Olson on the uh, Golden Mike Podcast. And you actually, you, you actually won the name back from me uh, not too long ago, right? Yeah, I did. I actually did. It was uh, Feet on Fire. Um, yes. You and I got, I think it was round two. Yes. Um, you and I put up a solid two and a half, I think two ish laps. We'll say that. I can't remember. I can't remember, but I remember. Barefoot falls. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, uh, looking at you going, Oh, this is going to be tough trying to, trying to, trying to top you. But it was like, you, uh, you've definitely put it out there and I was glad to take take back the original Dano title. Hey man, well uh, congratulations on the uh, the new gig. We're sitting here in your office. Uh, tell us a little bit, tell us where we are and what we're, what we're up to. Yeah, so uh, made a career change about five months ago. Um, now here at Action Water Sports down here in Central Florida. Um, the newest location. The newest location for the Action Water Sports family. So this is now the fourth location for them. Um, predominantly, their three other locations are up in Michigan, which is great, um, but had a opportunity to make a switch, stay closer to home, get off the road, and join this amazing family, and um, been very fortunate and very blessed to, to join the Action family. A lot of people look at, at water sports and water skiing and wakeboarding, and it's unicorns and rainbows because it's good times. We're in the boat. We're always having fun. Um, but you've, had a, you've had some hurdles. You've had um, some, some speed bumps, uh, life-changing moments, and um, and I think it... it it all has shaped you into who you are today, dude, and I'm, I'm excited to kind of go over it. So Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely probably not had the normal, quote-unquote, uh, upbringing. Um, I started water skiing when I was about a year and a half old, less than that. So I grew up uh, in Minnesota, a real small town just north of the Twin Cities called Chisago City. Uh, my parents still own the same house that we live in now, which is super cool to go back up there and get that kind of old, everybody loves a Midwest summer. I mean, you know it, there's nothing better than a good than a good Midwest summer. So when you're up there as well, you take the advantage of it. You, t- you get three months, maybe on a good year, you might get five months of good weather out of it and your wetsuits in the spring and dry suits and everything else. So it was a upbringing of just being on the water being outside as much as you can the other thing with it was is my parents were both show skiers I was born into kind of that show ski family it wasn't that they ever forced it on me by any means but it was every weekend we were at a show every we did all and we did everything when I was my mom actually broke her wrist six weeks after I was born that same, same summer she fell off the back of a pyramid broke her wrist so that's how involved my parents were. Um, I also had an older brother that was 10 years older than me, so we definitely had a pretty big age gap, but he was a water skier as well, and all I wanted to do then growing up was be like my brother. What's like the uh, the toad water sports scene uh, back then? Was it was there any traditional skiing going on? Was it more recreational? Was it show skiing? It was definitely every kind of all those aspects. So you had your your recreational skiing out on the lake every day, and then you had your show ski teams that were kind of the and that's what it was. Everybody kind of got together on the on a Friday night and showed off their tricks, and that's how a team kind of got started. And then it just kind of kept growing from there. And then you also had your competition, three-event skiers from back in that time as well. So you had all aspects of it. You had all aspects of water skiing, towed, whether it was going and having fun on a tube. Like it, it was still kind of, if you're out there having fun, use, use the lakes and land of 10,000 lakes it's more about 13 or 14,000 I think is what it is but you tried to use and utilize that summer and get as much time on the water as you could 
Do you recall your first time actually getting to ski in front of a crowd or anything like that? I do. And it was one, we did a show called the Grease Lightning. And I was little Danny, Danny uh, Zuko. Zuko <laughs> and I wouldn't take off that costume. I went to bed in it. I woke up in it. Um, and I was on a pair of little trainer skis and that was, that was my, I, I knew I was hooked right from then. So can you maybe tell people like what, um, what it's like to, to watch a, sh a ski show and to be a lot of people probably listening, maybe have never seen a ski show and maybe their hero is like a Danny Harf or a Parks or a Harley Clifford. But I grew up, my heroes were the guys in the ski shows, guys that most people never mm -hmm. hear of. But yeah. I mean, I, I went home and I played that person. I went home and I pretended to be Kevin Michael or Jeff Welling or Steve Bosco, these guys who were the trick skiers of the Barefooters, Anthony Monaco. Yeah. Um, can you kind of um, describe that dynamic in show skiing stuff that you kind of you saw growing up and, and how... Uh, how, how you respected so much maybe the people you were like watching and, and wanting to, to be a part of it. Yeah. So the beauty of a ski show is you kind of, it showcases all facets. So you get your barefooting, your jumping, your wakeboarding, your trick skiing, your pyramids, your doubles. It, it, it involves everything and you're putting on that performance, that show. So you get to have not only the ski aspect of it, but more that performance of quote unquote, a Broadway production. So you get to have all of that encompassing, which is super cool. It's kind of something like no other. Some shows are 30 minutes. Some shows are an hour. Some shows might be an hour and a half, depending if stuff goes awry and acts start falling. But Go to Minocqua and the show's three hours. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of one of those cool things that a ski show is kind of like no other. It's that entertainment factor, but you get all aspects of towed water sports behind it. And you can have, I've seen water ski shows with tubers in it. I've seen like, there's all that cool, all of that kind of stuff that. What about like the stars of the shows? Cause like, I, I always felt like, you know, we would go and watch a ski show. Like for me, it was like Twin Lakes one weekend. We'd go up to uh, Burlington, watch a show another weekend. We'd go and watch uh, Janesville, Badgerland. And each of these shows, you know, as you go week to week, you see that they've got their Michael Jordan, their Scottie Pippen, you know, their, their all-star crew and stuff like that. Yeah. And that was the, that was kind of one thing that my, when my parents got more involved in it, we were obviously going over and helping the little crow water ski team. We were going, my dad was becoming more involved with kind of some of the boards and understanding kind of to help teams and bald Eagle started the Midwest water ski tournament back. I mean, 35 years ago now or 40 years ago, almost, or helped develop that and help grow that. And then you obviously more and more teams started to come about. It obviously wasn't as big of a thing in the, in Minnesota as it was in Wisconsin, but we were still then driving over to Wisconsin and seeing those ski shows and seeing those all-stars and seeing like the people that kind of, I looked up to like my brother, Tim was one of those all-stars. He was 10 years older than me, but he was that guy that could start to do it all. Um, Another guy, Chad Thompson, um, that on Little Crow, there was um, a bunch of people that obviously when I was really young at Bald Eagle, I don't really remember, but you saw those all-stars at work. You kept seeing them on stage and you're like, oh my God, he did that. Oh my God, he did that. He did so many aspects and so much that way. And you then saw the Jake Pulsifers and that kind of stuff. And um, of Little Crow, and when we made that switch, then we transitioned over and joined Little Crow water ski team. And that's when my eyes got really big, the Mike Swenson's and Jared Swenson's and all that kind of stuff. And you saw all these people that were 
these top ranked skiers and we're going to ski at SeaWorld. We're going to go ski professional. I already had and come back. And it was that cool thing of seeing that, like, wait, I can go do this and get paid and perform for bigger crowds sometimes. Super, super show ski heavy. Were were you um, influenced or did you three event water ski at all growing up? Yeah, I definitely did. So that's kind of another funny thing that I wanted to kind of follow back on was that when I learned how to jump, I wanted to start doing flips and helis right away. And my coach, Dave Briscoe said, absolutely not, not until you can go 70 feet. And okay, I'm seven years old. You're going to tell a seven-year-old to go 70 feet. And what it was is he wasn't trying to actually make me do that. It was just get more ramp time. So what I did then was I went and three-evented on the weekends. I did. I never really was much of a slalom skier or a trick skier in, those con, in the tournaments, but I did it for overall points because it was like, all right, well, maybe I can podium on this because I knew that I wasn't going to get into short line or anything like that, but I could podium in the overall. So I definitely did do all three events growing up, but I also then – was more focused on jump. That was kind of my forte. And I did that for about three summers. And then my mom and dad kind of said, Hey, we're still trying to go to a show ski show on Friday night. And then we're packing everything up and we're going to a three event tournament Saturday and Sunday. We got to, something's got to kind of give here along with me still playing soccer and baseball and all the other traditional sports. And it was just one of those things that I kind of was like, all right. And then once I got to that, um, I think I was 12, and I jumped just over 100 feet. I was like 102 as a 12-year-old on 60-inch jumpers that I still currently own right now, which is super cool to have that nostalgia. But that's when I kind of was like, I could start doing front flips. I could start doing helis. I was already doing helis at that point, but was like, okay, I want to start learning more more inverts off the jump. Who are the people influencing your your parents and say like the the those early 80s? The early 80s or like kind of early 90s for that that matter was. Um, there was the Thompsons, like uh, Chad Thompson's parents uh, from Little Crow. You also had the Carpenters from um, Bald Eagle. You had the Prentices from Bald Eagle. You had, um, there was definitely quite a few other names that I'm forgetting, um, which I apologize for that, but they're definitely, and then obviously when they got more into it, you had the lightings and and that kind of stuff of of more Wisconsin of the big names from Wisconsin that you'd start to hear and then obviously my dad started to sit on some of the show ski boards and that kind of stuff and then that obviously developed more and more and you had those um those bigger names of the other teams of hey how do we do this and you're just trying to grow and I mean you look at show ski teams from the 90s to now I mean 90s you were lucky if you had a three boat pattern now everything's a five and a six boat pattern what i mean by that is putting multiple boats in that same pattern to create those big acts in a way of having a hundred people on the water where back in the early 90s if you had 10 people on the water it was it was a big act so um but learning learning that and then um like the hansons from uh from Little Crow and then obviously now fast forward to obviously I'm very much more connected in the industry now than I was back then and kind of can remember more but all the Wonder Lake guys all the Twin Lake guys there's just that it be the more you get into an industry the smaller it gets as you know so yeah you can go to basketball camps or soccer camps and basketball games and this and that but you're you're not gonna meet LeBron James and get onto his personal court, but here you are. You come down to Florida and you're you're starting to ski with like 
the LeBron James of water skiing guys, like you know, like you mentioned, Hank Amos or or uh, Zane Schwank or 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 Briscoe or anything like that. How are you guys able to form these relationships with the guys who were the quote unquote studs or stars of the sport at that time? I think it was the you just always it's the always ever you're always wanting to learn, and that's where do you how do you become the best? You go learn from the best and learn how to do it the way that they did it or ask them questions. And the cool thing about all those guys that we kind of mentioned and even the ones that we haven't mentioned, they all are open arm people of like, hey, come in, like, we'll help you get better. We'll help you learn that. And like you said, to be, to come down and learn from those elite top 10 guys or and women for that matter, for even the swivel skiers from the gardens and then the swivel skiers from, and my mom to learn that and bring it back to all the girls back up in Minnesota and that, and it's that, development and learning how to be the best you can be and why not go learn from the best was it always that open or was it was it tough to get into like was it a club and it was tough to get into i i never noticed it as a club i guess because i was young and i just kind of guess i was fortunate to be into it um i hope that it's not that way i hope that it's not a club thing and i hope people are still that way in open arms and that's the way that i was raised and that's the way that i try to teach people as well like hey you want some coaching send me a clip I'm going to help you. I want you to be the best you can be. I want, and don't get me wrong. I'm a competitive person and I'm going to, it's going to help push me like having these kids come, come up and doing tricks that I never thought was fathomable. Now it's like, okay, it's cool to see everybody starting to grow and, and develop that. And you see these young kids and even when I, when wakeboarding got really big, then I got into wakeboarding. All I wanted to do was be a professional wakeboarder. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And it was having the likes and, and then seeing the Danny Harfs and the JD Webbs and them not be that much older and me being like, okay, I, I think I can do this. Let's, let's go into this full force and tried and tried, did some early competitions, never really developed into the wakeboard side of things that great, but still was a pretty decent amateur. And I was very fortunate that way and was able to get picked up by um, on a flow product from Conley when I was pretty young, which was cool. And, um, some other snow ski shops had helped me out as well and just kind of kept in it that way. So everybody has great things to say about your brother, Tim, and he was very involved in the industry. Um, guys were, I've talked to boys who were riding with him at OWC in the early days. Um, I want to find out how Tim fully influenced you. Um, the, the contributions to our sport and his legacy as well. Cause obviously uh, if you guys are listening to this, Tim's no longer with us. So yeah, it was in um, the, he was my big brother. I know we fought as kids and he knew how to push my buttons more than probably anybody, but he also knew how to push me harder than anybody. And um, yes, he is no longer with us. Um, unfortunately he passed away in a drowning accident, which is kind of a, not ironic thing by any means, but it's when you grow up around water, you never expect that. So, um, and that was a tough thing for me. That was, it hit me when I was, that was 14 years old. I was coming into my kind of those awkward teenage years and to have your idol, your everything, your big brother, the person you, all you wanted to do is be him, be taken away from you at that age. It was tough. And I have battled depression. I've battled suicide. I've battled a bunch of things because of it, I think. Um, well, I know. And, but then you see the, the impact that he had on so many people and that legacy. And like you said, the tattoos, I mean, Greg Miller, um, Matt Hickman, Steve Bates, 
are the three that that got him all on his left on the top of his left foot because he was on the top of their left foot because he was left foot forward i actually have his timmy written on the top of my left foot so every time i put it into a binding i never forget hey go out and have some fun because tim was if anybody that's listening that knows tim you know how loving he was and how much fun he wanted to have and all he cared about was getting out on the water sharing the passion and sharing the stoke with everybody and he was it my parents tell me all the time that tim was jealous of me and i don't believe it because i was so jealous and envy of him but tim apparently saw something in me that i don't think i saw in myself for a long time and he saw that i was could be and am today kind of one of the top people in the show ski industry, which I don't want to brag about, but when you put the effort in kind of, and you put the time and I've, it took me a long time to learn how to do certain aspects and people are like, Oh, Dan's just so easily talented. Like, no, it's a lot of time to put in. And Tim knew how to push me in that way. And Tim opened those doors up for me to go and stay with Zane, to go and stay with Briscoe and to go and know Scotty Clack and, all those the Jeff Schmicks and and those kinds of people that are idols in the sport of show skiing but also in the sport of water skiing and Tim was the free loving everybody let's have a good time and get on the water it doesn't matter what you do um you know Tim was was here in Orlando like during the uh, early days of of O-Dub was he ahead of his times and kind of like seeing what was happening with the progression of our sport i definitely think he was it was one of those things that he i remember him riding cable early i came down and wanted to ride cable early i came down and um and sliders and all that kind of stuff and he he was always whatever needed to be done to help progress the sport and build the name of wakeboarding and towed water sports that's what he was doing so whether it was cable whether it was water skiing or instructing like he was doing it was everything involved with with water he was he wanted to be on the forefront and he wanted to be the best of it he was a competitive guy just like myself and a lot of people are doesn't mean that you have to be arrogant or kind of doesn't mean that you're this guy oh don't come talk to me he was open arms and he took he yes he'd get frustrated like like I used to with competitions and you could kind of tell that he he would shut down and internalize things sometimes but that was his passion and that's what that's when you see that with a lot of people you see the passion you see that frustration and it's not frustration to be mad at anyone any one person they're just they're so passionate about it knowing that you and your family have done so much for show skiing and have put in so much effort and work um your dad is still a big part of it um one thing we're going to talk about in a little bit here is you coming back to show skiing and what you brought back and i because i believe you helped kind of help uh elevate the level of jumping and and kind of open people's eyes to to what um to what's possible but with that being said are you ever bummed out that show skiing isn't bigger than it is i think i mean yeah i i, I miss the days of hot summer nights i mean we've we sat and watched it we it growing up that kind of stuff i remember when the pro tour used to come to minneapolis and we would funny story with the pro tour my garden tractor up in minnesota actually ran over tom weber because my dad helped out with the tour when it would come into town and and tom always every time i see him and tom then ended up being my boss and my brother's boss and all that kind of stuff but it was every time i see him he's like that garden tractor and that trailer remember when it and I can't remember who it was. It was another guy that was using the tractor, forgot to set the parking brake, and it ran Tom Weber over and almost drug him into the lake. So, 
But yes, do I miss those days and wish that it was on a bigger scale? Absolutely, because the athletes that are today and even in the past deserve that credit. Um, Am I mad at where it is now? No, I'm not mad, but I'm it's I want to preserve that aspect for those for the new up and coming athletes and make sure they know where they came from like park parks a speech at the hall of fame. Like you can't, you, you can't know where you're going if you don't know where you came from. So I always make sure you know where you came from and understand it. Um, and the stuff kids are doing today on a wakeboard, on the water ski jump on even little kids that are trick skiing now. And the slalom skiers that are, I mean, you've got 15 year olds running into super short line and I'm like, what, wait, what? And you've got, um, guys putting up, massive trick numbers and all this stuff and it's great 16 year olds landing back mobs off the ski ramp exactly and that same kind of thing like i got um i've I've heard of some of the kids being 15 and 14 trying mobs and i'm like i can't even i can't even fathom that um but it's it's so awesome and it's that evolution and i want to pay as much respect and, and obviously bring as much light back and make sure that people understand where the sport came from and never lose sight of that and understand that what they're doing is amazing. Don't ever, don't get frustrated that it's not as big as it once was understand that, but also make, make sure that you're putting the right step, the right foot forwards to try to keep and build the sport, just like you've done with corn fast and feet on fire and that kind of stuff. You're it's, it's changing. I mean, look at how many kids now just want to stay inside and play video games. You could go and make millions of dollars playing video games, but that is a unique lucrative sport. I'm not saying that water skiing doesn't deserve it because they do, but it is also, it's what's the next best thing. Um, and I think it's super cool. The fact that water skiing and there is still that passion and you're, you're never going to change that passion out of it. Um, and different events of kind of, like I said, what you've done and some of the night jumps and, and that kind of stuff that they're bringing back, which is super cool. Like 10 years ago, there wasn't an extra freestyle jump. It was nationals. That's all you had. You didn't have any extra freestyle. You didn't have pairs. You didn't have any of that where now you're seeing multiple events a year doing a freestyle jump and there's talks i've been in talks with sean hyatt and a bunch of other people of like hey how do we bring a tour to this can we figure out a way to get a tour going again and that's how you just keep building you keep that alive and it's and i think there is a way to do it um it's going to take a lot of work but it's hopefully one of those things that we can build and continue on and make the the corn fests and, and part of one of those stops and make the national tournament part of one of those stops and i hope that one day there's a world tournament for freestyle again. And I, it's look at how many people out of Australia are doing front halves and back halves and even guys out of, um, over in Europe that are doing freestyle stuff. It's super cool. And I'm talking the freestyle aspect of it, but look at the wakeboarding side of things. Look at how many up and comers have come out of Australia. I mean, the Australians are kind of dominating the sport again. Um, and not saying that America's by far not, but it's, it goes in waves and it's so cool to see this ever changing. And I mean, watching Corey Tunison's toe 12 wake to wake, I was like, wait, what? And, and then you go talk to Corey and he's so humble and he's so genuine. And that's what I love about the new, the new kids and not saying that the old guys weren't because I got to be 
once I got into the industry a little bit deeper and got to work alongside all the big names and I was very fortunate that way and it's so cool to see how much passion they still have and all the new kids still have and I want to we want we all want it to be bigger yeah no doubt well I want to talk a little bit about the awards and stuff that that you've won as we kind of um move forward in with the interview a little bit um so like what are what are some of the accomplishments that stand out to you um some of the big ones obviously was um when I was still a three eventer my last year at states I ended up winning state with I think 102 or 103 foot jump like I said earlier which was super cool. I was very fortunate with that. Um, and then in 98, being a part of the little curl water ski team and winning nationals with a team and me being on one of the barefoot pyramids and I carry that memory with me forever. Um, and that was just such a cool show and all those guys and being on guys that I looked up to as a kid, then being a part of it and, and that kind of stuff to then, um, kind of coming into my own as a freestyler and a wakeboarder um like i said earlier kind of not much of the wakeboard scene really happened for me because i would get so worked up before contests that i couldn't do well like i would train all summer train all spring and then i'd go out and double munch and i'm like what in the world like i can go out and do my contest pass in my sleep and then i double munch first two tricks right out of the gate there goes your weekend um so the wakeboard side of things never really kind of grew that way but then the show ski did kind of take off i got offered a contract to go ski at SeaWorld um, when i was 17 and my parents were fortunate enough i was fortunate enough to have my parents had to sign for me and the, the i'll tell a story with this real quick but my mom wrote into my contract that i had to come home and graduate because i graduated high school early and my mom wrote in the contract in the notes that dan has to come home for five days at this time to walk for graduation and i had completely forgot about it and then the show manager at the time michelle walks up and i was looking at the schedule i'm like why am i off for like these five days and she's like well you have to go home and graduate and i was like oh that i that i do so fast forward to that and then developing and staying a quote-unquote i mean i was a professional water skier show skier i did it for 12 years i got paid to do it i was able to um, put myself through college, which was great and travel the world and all that kind of stuff. And then learned more and more freestyle stuff and learned more and more of that. Um, back to the accomplishments, being able to compete and win the very first Jeff Schmick award, um, in Wisconsin was a huge honor of mine because Jeff actually gave me the opportunity to ski at Cypress gardens. He was the one that hired me in when he was the show director there. But the crazy thing was at that time, I wasn't consistent with front flips and I was working at SeaWorld and he goes, I can't hire you until you can do a front flip off the jump. And I'm like, Jeff, like, just let me do a gainer outside. I've been doing this all. He's like, just let, put me in the four spot. I'll be fine. And he's like, no, you have to learn how to do a front flip. He's like, you can do pretty much everything else in the show, but you have to do a front flip. And I'm like, so I went out and learned how to do front flip from Garrett Wilson and Pete Coolman and Ryan Jones. And that's another crazy story. Ryan Jones was my babysitter growing up. So we lived on the same lake, but he pushed me really hard as well. And then for, being, for anybody who doesn't know Ryan Jones, <laughs> Ryan Jones, uh, he was like a, a coach down. He was a great skier, but also down in Florida, he's a guy who, um, uh, in the early days of like the double flips, he was the guy kind of helping push yeah. the dudes to to learn that stuff on the trampoline. Yeah. Him and Mike stuff. Ferraro with yeah. the tramp place and all that kind of stuff. And also, helped Ryan that. Jones is a insane water skier. I heard of a story of him taking a whip into the ski ramp, doing a gainer, landing it, and then another boat pulling up with another handle and handing it to him and him skiing away. Yeah, and there's other stories of even like I've heard of Ryan just being like in the middle of a like it'd be like 
front flip heli front flip and ryan's the heli guy and he's like oh, i'm just gonna try a mob in the middle like he would just do those kind of things and um and then he would land it and then he would also tell you a little yeah, bit about exactly. that too. So <laughs> i love sometimes. you ryan but yeah. uh ryan well, yeah ryan's you know, a good ryan's a great guy and not afraid to tell you how awesome yeah. he is too. um <laughs> and like i said though but learning front flips then to go down and ski at cypress gardens and then then learning more and more freestyle stuff from Jeff Schmick and learning mobs and learning one ski mobs and then um, kind of l- then uh, winning his very first award, which was a very humbling experience for me. And then to go on and three-peat that um, at Wisconsin because I was the Midwest rep for a couple of water sports brands at that time of my life. Um, I was able to ski up there and was also using Tommy Bartlett's as my home base and, and all that kind of stuff, which was awesome. So, um but for me then to go and compete on the world stage and represent my country was absolutely amazing and win a As world part title. Of Team USA. Yep, part of Team USA. Um, and I believe that was 2014, uh, second year. I got selected the first year, had to back out of it because I went to Japan to do Waterworld um, and then um, came back and was able to ski the two years after that then, which was super, I was very grateful for. And, um, and then to come back after that, and do two tricks for freestyle jump that I, I thought more people had done it, but to come back and then do one ski front half, one ski back half in competition. And I think it's myself, Dave Reinhardt, and I believe Zane were the only three to ever land them in competition. And then to also land a trick that I invented off the ski jump, which is a Whirlybird 540, which is a wakeboard trick, but bring it over to freestyle jumping and land that finally in competition was a huge accomplishment for me. So, so what was, okay. So here you are a guy who's been skiing professional for years. Okay. And then you come back, you basically, you come back from skiing pro and, and you, um, you take this Midwest job as a representative. And then that, that kind of brings you back to your roots. You start getting to, to go back to, um, show ski tournaments. Now, some people might listen to this and say, hey, well, you're a professional show skier and now you're coming and competing at the amateur national championships or state championships or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that fair? It's it's one of those things that it's there were other pros there. There are other pros in every nationals. The nationals I came back and competed at um, and took second place to Gino. Gino is a pro. Gino, it's in to be able to call and to be able to even call myself second place or third place to Gino was awesome. I can't remember exactly where I ended up on that, that, that tournament, but it was an amazing accomplishment for me. And this to put my name in the likes of, of a legend of the sport that way. Um, the amateur slash pro thing, there's the caliber of skiing is so high in amateur skiing that they could all be pros. There's no doubt about it. I, I feel like there's some guys in amateur skiing who don't go pro just to prove a point sometimes. I could see that, and I could also see the other thing. Um, I wanted to go pro. I'm very fortunate that I went pro. Um, it wasn't a bad thing for me to go pro. There are people that just don't do it, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's for me, though, it put put me through college I learned some of my best friends I got to travel the world because of it and meet thousands of people because of it and perform in front of hundreds of thousands of people over my career and I'm very fortunate that way so when you came back to show skiing when you kind of stepped away from the the world of professional skiing and more into the rep life and you came back to show skiing um 
the fact that you got involved again, I think that was huge. But um, also, it wasn't like you were it wasn't like you were practicing freestyle jumping like every single day. I feel like you almost made a goal for yourself and to come back to show skiing and and throw down these tricks, these new tricks, um, tricks that have been refined, maybe that hadn't been done in many many years, or say something like the the whirly bird variations that you were. Um, doing off of the jump. I wrote down innovative trickery incorporating wake influence into water skiing. And uh, what was so cool is that when I first came down to Florida, I looked at the cable park and I was like training wheels for wakeboarding. That's it. That's all I saw in it. Um, then I started shoe skiing on the cable and I was like, and I could land 360s off the jump, off the kicker. In my head, I'm like, 100%, this is training wheels for water skiing. This is it. I could never do that off a ski ramp. Well, you were one of the guys that changed my mind. I started seeing you out at the cable park, and you were actually able to take um, some of the tricks that you were doing on the cable, which had never been done behind the boat. Never, No one had ever even thought about doing that behind the boat. But again, incorporating some of that wakeboard stuff into your water skiing. Can you talk about um, how that all came about Um because a lot of times, even though wakeboarding is right there, I've been seeing this now. In, in trick skiing, there was a tournament on Water Ski Nation recently, and okay. they're doing yeah. tricks on a trick ski that have never been done before, like chromobes or chromobe 720s. And I saw somebody write, there's so much innovation going on in trick skiing. And I'm like, well, no, guys, that's, you're progressing yeah. what you can personally do on a trick ski, but you can't innovate when it's already been done. They've been doing it on a wakeboard for 20 years. So you got to take the blindfold <laughs> off. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but again, like the same way you were bringing these tricks. I mean, these tricks were already out there for 10, 12 years, but you're the first guy bringing it. Yeah, kind of back. And, and, it, and I don't want to say that I, by any means, was the one that brought freestyle back. Not at all. I wanted to, it never, to me, it never died. I just wanted to take a different aspect of it. You had that time of, I think it was 2000, it would have been 2005, um, because that's when the wake skis started to kind of come about. Ryan Jones, Pete Coleman, Chad Beekler, um, Jans from um, Norway, and the stereo guys um, started kind of bringing wake skis into, into the mix of it. And it opened that freestyle snow ski aspect back up to freestyle jumping so you could land backwards you could take off backwards and then yeah go into the cable and and being able to get those repetitions in and take oh hey i can do a glide on a wakeboard why can't i do a glide on skis i can do a whirly bird on a wakeboard why can't i do them on skis and learning how to do that and it was that that training realm and then wake skiing at that time was getting bigger there was more competitions and being able to have Ryan and Pete be kind of the front runners of it and have the prototypes and figure out what was going on. And me also help with that and start to get on them. I was like, this is actually, cause I, me growing up, what I was a freestyle snow skier and a uh, snow ski racer for that matter. So it was a natural transition for me to come over, which I was like, perfect. This is a way to expand and Ryan and those guys and Chris Copeland and a couple other guys wanted to bring freestyle back along with Scotty Clack and that kind of stuff. And that's when they added a whole bunch of new tricks to the freestyle jump trick list to it per se. And it was the whirly birds and the glides and the Rayleigh's and the five forties and the seven twenties or nine hundreds and that kind of stuff. And being able to present that and give a new life to freestyle jumping was definitely a super exciting time. And, bringing that new life and it was 
I wanted to progress. I wanted, I, I'm never lost sight of the homage of there's nothing more pretty than watching Jeff Schmidt go out and do a one ski back move and stick the crap out of it. Or Scott Clack go out and do a 720 That's so perfect straight up and down and stick it ever. I mean, you've got guys that are so amazing at water skiing and so amazing at freestyle jumping. It was just a new take on it. And I was fortunate enough to be kind of a part of that and ride boat on wake skis and do all that. And then kind of keep bringing that and trying to get more and more people into it. And some people definitely, I caught flack for it for sure. Oh, you're using a different apparatus. You're going on the, you're going Texas style on the ramp. Why are you doing it that Which way? Which means you're, because, because the norm is to go on the, what would be the driver's side of the boat yeah. side, you know, on the right side of the ramp. Yeah. And I'm the same way. I've always, I mean, but it, you start looking at old videos of water skiing back in the old days before the rules were so rigid, right? Yeah. And they were hitting the jump from both sides. Yeah, there because there was no rules at that point, like you said. It, and and I kind of was like, and I was a f- kind of that forefront as well of like, why don't we put the boat on the other side of the ramp? What's what's preventing us from doing that? And for for that, it opened up more tricks. It opened up different variations. And it doesn't matter which side of the boat's on and at all for the judging part part of it. It's just different. People are like, oh my god, it's so much harder. And I was like, it's not harder. You just got to learn how to do it if that makes sense. So it was something that whatever made it more comfortable and more consistent for other people, let's add it in there. And that development and being a part of it was a cool thing because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to give back to the sport and I wanted to keep growing it and pay homage back to those, those, those original freestylers that, that kind of paved the way for, for us. Very good. You and me have known each other a long time, but I would say that our relationship has grown more and I've gotten to know you more as Dan O, Dan Olson, the representative of a certain brand, whether it be Conley and a bunch of stand-up paddleboard companies mm-hmm. or Radar Ronix for for a couple of years. Yep. Um, I want you to tell me a little bit about the transition from from athlete to rep. Did you decide it was time to hang it up? Uh, were you still trying to balance both? Um, or what sparked the career change? Um, the biggest thing was was kind of um, after doing it for 12 years as a professional show skier to then go and be a stuntman, um, I had an opportunity um, to come back after Japan and become a manufacturer rep, which I was very fortunate and start to work with um, Greg Miller and the Off Axis Inc. crew that was Conley, Aquaglide, a couple other brands as well, and was able to help grow that. Um, I wasn't the Conley rep at that time. I started the Conley thing kind of later in the career of the more of the show ski side of things and the um, collegiate side to help grow that because collegiate wakeboarding was a big thing for me as well. That kind of helped me get through college and was a collegiate champion as well for for that so add to the credentials, add to the credentials. <laughs> i mean and i just forgot about i mean and i'm not trying to say oh look at all these credentials but it is i it's a cool thing to kind of put on that resume for that's sure. what i'm trying to do yeah. here though <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um but anyways yeah it was that i had that opportunity i was still trying to ski a little bit on the side as much as i could um with being a factory rep but as many people know it's not the factory rep is not a glamorous life you're on the road a bunch you're living out i don't of a think suitcase. people i don't think people don't i don't think people know that it's not glamorous it's, because it, uh, it's glamorous at points and it's a lot of a lot of windshield time or a lot of airplane time i mean i was doing when i was getting started i was doing close to 300 days a year on the road which is insane um even when i 
was got a little bit smarter about travel. I still was doing 230 to 250 days a year. Yeah, but so. you're a rep in the water sports industry, so you're skiing and wakeboarding every single day, right? Yeah, that's not <laughs> not all the case. Um, you're you're on the water. You're you're by the water at least on a boat, but that doesn't mean that you get out right away because it's you want everybody else to enjoy the fun and enjoy the product. So sometimes, unless you make it a point to try to get out and do it, yes, you can do it. But Probably nine I, out of ten times, nine though. out of ten times, you're loading all your gear up trying to get to the next place as as quickly as you can. So um, I was, like I said, I was fortunate that way to make that transition. But at that same time, I was still skiing um, part-time at Tommy Bartlett's and still had that drive. And then when I really kind of did, when I said, all right, I want one last hurrah in a way, or one last thing, I want to compete at nationals one last time. I want to land that worldly five in competition. And I was fortunate enough to pick up a original discombobulator ski, which is a single ski jumper that has a twin tip on it from Matt May's buddy down in Australia when I was happened to be down there on vacation. So I was like, all right, I want to learn how to do front half, back half and grow that. And I had, I said to myself, I was like, I want to train, I'm going to do what I can. And that was the year that I was able to do it. And I landed all three jumps and it was kind of one of those surreal moments because I worked so hard for it. I put in a lot of time, a lot of bumps and bruises and to land all three of them and then there's a video of it where i actually then like give a finger up to my brother i was like that one was for you i wanted to solidify the the olsen name and make sure that you're you, that the olsen name will always kind of go not go down in history but in a way go down in history to make sure that the and to make sure that the and pass the torch out of the next group of kids which it definitely has and the fact that now like flyman skis has come out with disco skis and there's more there's more readily available items and to see the boulet brothers and to see um like carter carter bachman out of um shitek texted me and was like i want to learn mopes and he almost has mopes like it's cool to see those young kids up and coming and the cody coffee's doing front halves and there's kids that are constant liam clausbach and these young kids coming up but it was one of those things that that was like all right i'm done I'll pass the torch on. I'm very fortunate that I was able to not saying that I won't get back on the ramp. Um, hopefully I do. I've then had to have some knee surgeries and some other major health issues come up, but, but at least you don't have the same expectations necessarily exactly. on your shoulders. And, right? and I, and for that last competition, it was like, I went into it with a completely different mindset than I had of anything else. I would, I started dating my now wife, Brit, and she's like, just go out and have fun. Like the biggest thing is she goes, if you get frustrated with it, then what's the point of us being here? What's the point of you going and putting your, your body on the line for this? If you're not having fun. And I was like, it's very like so I just went out and had fun with it and when you have fun with stuff it just kind of clicks and it happens and I'm very fortunate and I got to give a shout out to Joel who drove me that year phenomenal pull it's definitely a weird thing for a driver to come in um, and we don't know who our driver is going to be when you go to those competitions um, and to say hey I need you to be here and here and this is what and he pulled it perfectly and it was super exciting and I'm very fortunate and Joel good thing for guys like us. Any pulls a perfect pull, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, that was, that was definitely the thing of trying to pass that along and, and pass the torch, not pass the torch, but, um, I'm not saying that I am done with competition, but I've taken a very long hiatus right. probably. So, right. Hey guys, I just wanted to jump in here for one second to tell you about the wake response. Psych! This is actually an ad for SeaDeck Marine Products. That's right, you never know what I'm going to do, but you always know what SeaDeck's going to do, and that's provide you with the best flooring solutions possible for your boat. 
They specialize in creating comfortable, durable, non-skid flooring systems for all boats, new and not so new. SeaDeck certified installers are based all over the world and can work with you to create the ideal flooring solution for your boat. Just head on over to SeaDeck.com, use the certified locator page to find the nearest fabricator and installer to you. I'll spell it out, S-E-A-D-E-K.com to learn more. It's time to give your boat what it deserves, and your boat deserves SeaDeck. Well, so with Rep Life, uh, you spent some good time with Conley. Um, you were part of the Radar Ronix family. Well, I yep. feel like once you're part of that family, you're always part of that family. Yeah. Um, uh, before we get, obviously, we've talked a little bit about where you're at right now, but just talk about the experience working for Ronix and Radar because it was crazy. I happened to be at um, Radar Lake two two years in a row, and it happened to be I was at the party. It was the um, uh, employee appreciation party, yep. and you'd been at the company for eight months, the first appreciation party I was at, and the way they treated you, the way they brought you up, and the other new employees, yeah. and um, and then to come back next year and to see once again, there you are put back up on a pedestal, like not just you, but like so many, team. everybody yeah. there, everybody there is so special. And, um, I know that whoever you work for, whenever you work for a company, you, you've got pride and you love it, unless you absolutely hate what you're doing or whatever. But the idea is to have pride and love for, for that. Um, and that doesn't make it a job. Talk a little bit about how much of a job, but not a job working for Radaronics was. Yeah. So that transition obviously, um, got the opportunity, which I was very fortunate with and to, excuse me about that. So very fortunate, um, to have that opportunity, um, to get that call and to even be then to, like I said, to go and work alongside your idols, to go work alongside Danny Harf, Parks Bonifay, Chad Sharp, Eric Rock, Paul O'Brien, and then to really dive deep and get to know Brooks and Ronzi and Jason Stanley and Tim DeHate and all the office girls and everybody. The executives, that, the designers. The, exact, the designers, everybody. I mean, the whole, it was a family. There's no doubt about it. And they, they hold a special spot in my heart. Um, and I was so fortunate that I, my name got thrown into that mix to, to be a part of that family. And um, I was, I, I still am passionate. And there's still, it's it's one of those things for me, it's been a massive, it's been a massive transition for sure. Um, but that working for those legends of the industry, um, has been amazing. It opened my eyes so much. It got it. I got to meet so many great friends now, got to do so many great things. And then even the new up and coming guys, Ty and the Harris brothers and Jake and all those guys that, um, the athletes, Jamie, the yeah. athletes and, and that kind of stuff. It's, but they're all part of the family and that's, what's so cool about Ronix and radar and everyone's so passionate and loves the sport. And I got to give a huge shout out to Paul O'Brien and, um, Brian Gardner. If it wasn't for you guys, man, it's, it was, I'm so fortunate that you guys gave me the, the, the opportunity. And, um, it was, it was, it was, a hard transition for me to leave no doubt about it but for my own personal health and i'm sure we'll kind of get into that in a little bit i needed to make a change uh personally for that but it was a phenomenal time being there got to meet a lot of people and yeah it was cool to say you're the ronix rep i mean there's not a lot of people that get to say that and and the the respect that you could get when you walked into a shop um was very cool for sure but it was also you were representing a brand and representing 
the legacy of Herb O'Brien and the legacy of Paul O'Brien and Brian Gardner and everybody involved that was there was insane. So very good. All right. So you 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 talked about kind of stepping away from from tournament stuff and that might be where your mentality is now. Um, for a little bit in 2019, maybe it was 2019 or 18, I, I, I don't know exactly the year, but I recall spending a little bit of time with you and here you come and you strap in and you ride regionals, wakeboard regionals. Yep. Um, I, I can't remember because there's so much flows into each other, but you either had intentions to or you showed up at nationals and your intention was to come with us to Japan to wakeboard worlds yes. so it must have been last season it would have been yeah it would have been 2018 okay so maybe we were it was, yeah it would have been 2000 yes yeah, the, year we went to, yes, yes, the year we went yep. to japan yeah, it, it would have been 2018, 2018. yep okay. so i was a stuntman at universal studios in japan so it was a great way that i kind of saw it and i was like sweet i can go back to japan my now wife was working for the wwa was going over there to help with some social media and some marketing for them so it was super cool that way that i was like sweet we can go over i wanted to get back there i've been wanting to get back to japan it's that's that it holds such a special place for me so i was like this is a way for me to go back um and also compete i had a bug i had that itch right. i got that itch again to compete and started training started riding again and you were riding really good i was, too. I was riding really well which i was very fortunate on and then can't remember what there was something that came up for something that prevented me from going to japan i believe no. what happened if, if i remember correctly oh, I here, remember you now. ended up like sustaining a knee injury yeah that's what it was i was i was trying to think here i ended up blowing my acl out um we were i was up on the road with um ty gun ty Hyam, gunner daff and Jamie Lopina was with me and we were up on Smith Mountain Lake getting ready. Um, I went out stupid on my part. I didn't stretch. I didn't warm up. I just, and I went into it with a fully loaded boat, which my opening trick was a heel side front flip out to the flats. And as Parks Boniface says, how old are you? And I was like, I'm, I was 20, I was 31 at the time. And he's like, man, you don't do heel side front flips to the flats after the age of like 27. Everybody knows that. And I was like, thanks Parks. You could have let me know that a week ago. Um, but anyway, so I ended up, yeah, blowing my ACL out. Um, and then obviously not being able to compete, um, to go to, to go to Japan that, that year and, um, ended up having that ACL blown for almost nine or 10 months before I could get it fixed. It was a long road. Um, so, uh, so along with this, um, injury, yeah, it's a bummer. You don't get to, to go to Japan. Um, but you know, it is what it is and you kind of, you come through it, whatever. Um, and then, um, I, I don't know how much, uh, past this eight, 10 months further on, or was it even sooner than that? You're hit with another like heavy blow. Yeah. So it would have been, so that happened July. I'm coming up two years since I've strapped on a wakeboard that happened July 16th is when I blew my ACL out that September. So two months, mm -hmm. next or two months, I end up being hospitalized at surf expo. Um, super crazy story here right now. I technically shouldn't be sitting here having this interview, which is super crazy if you, and kind of that really eye opening experience for me. But what ended up happening was I ended up going to surf expo, um, 
was feeling real down and tired leading up to it. I thought that it was my knee was all messed up. I had been traveling a bunch for work. It was just, I was, and it was the end of summer. Still eating probably burgers. Oh yeah. I was eating my, my go-to meals of double cheeseburgers and McChickens were, were not helping the scenario by any means. And, um, and just living that road left rep life of fast food, airplanes, cars, all that kind of stuff. And thinking that you're invincible when you're really kind of not, um, I ended up getting really, really tired and this and that and felt, and I ended up now noted now looking back on it, it was a whole bunch of signs that I just was pushing off because I was like, I need to get through surf expo. I need to get through surf expo. It's your largest sales conference. It's your, it's in your backyard. You've got the most clients coming there. You've got to get this done. You've got to do this. You've got to, and you got to do it hard. So push through it, push through it. And I'm finally like, guys, like we got, luckily we got done with the surf expo booth set up early. And that's another really cool thing that I want to kind of explain to people is that the square one family sets everything and does everything and does it the as a family. Radar Ronix. Yeah, and they do, you, you look over and Paul O'Brien's up on a ladder, screwing a wall together, painting something. Everybody's doing something. Everybody in the company's got a, a job during surf expo, which is great. Um, but we got done with expo set up a little bit early. Um, and I was like, all right guys, I'm not feeling, I'm, I feel really weak. I gotta, I gotta run. I gotta, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the urgent care and get a bag of fluids. I thought I was dehydrated bag of fluids and hopefully some antibiotics and I'll, I'll meet you guys all at dinner, go to urgent care. That urgent care doctor's like, Oh, you think you got something way worse going on? Um, go to, I'm going to, I'm going to send you to the ER right now. And I was like, okay, well I'll just drive over there. And he's like, no, you're not going to drive. Like I'll call you an ambulance. And I was like, no, I don't want to pay for the ambulance. Let me go over to the ER. So I drive over to the ER. He gives me a little note. He goes, I don't know if you're going to get in faster than anybody else, but give them this note when you get there. And I was like, okay, I sure. Whatever. Read the note. It was all. I couldn't read it. Couldn't read it. Don't understand any of the terminology that he used on it. And probably a good thing because I would have freaked out if I would have known what was going on. But go to ER, they pull me in the back right away, draw my blood, put two bags of platelets in me. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, nobody's telling me anything really at this point. And they're like, we're trying to figure out if we're going to have you stay at our, at the Dr. Phillips, uh, Orlando health, or if we're going to send you downtown. So fast forward a couple hours, I finally get sent downtown first ambulance ride that I remember of my life. So kind of one of those crazy things of, cause I'd had some ambulance rides before of being knocked out unconscious and some other things. But, um, first one that I've remembered and it was one of those, like I'm taking selfies in it and all this stuff and people, and they're like, all right, whatever. Like I'm sure they see crazier things, but anyways, I then get rushed in the back door of Orlando health up to neuro ICU, which I didn't know I was in the neuro ICU for three days. Um, I ended up coming down with a super rare autoimmune disease and also, um, a autoimmune slash blood disorder, basically. So normally an average human will have anywhere from 150 to 450,000 platelets in their body at a given time. And platelets are what clot your blood when you get cut or anything like that. Um, when I went into the hospital, I had 2000 platelets. I was literally bleeding from the inside out. Part of the reason why I felt so tired and so sluggish was that I was literally every blood didn't have anywhere for it to go. I looked, if you would have pricked me, I probably would have bursted. Um, I also had bleeding, bleeding on the brain. That was where they were really end onto my spinal cord. So that's where it gets really heavy. And that's why I ended up in neuro ICU. And during this whole time, I'm conscious, I'm active in there. And, I, and all the doctors are like, how is this possible? 
your numbers are so low. On top of it, my hemoglobin and my red blood cell count is way low. And hemoglobin is the protein and the, and the oxygen. That, that's how it carries to your organs. Well, everything, what was happening was I was, everything was starting to shut down. I was literally, my body was at shutdown mode of you, if I, and now looking back on it and talking with my doctors, they're like, if you would have waited probably another day, less than a day, you would have had a stroke and you would have died on the spot because your blood was so, <laughs> your blood was so thin that your body wouldn't have non, known what to do. So I could have been at Surf Expo in the middle of a meeting and fallen over and died on the spot, which is so fortunate I'm not and I definitely thank my guardian angels and I know Timmy was looking over me and my other brother Sean um, was looking over me as well and I'm so fortunate and blessed that I'm sitting here today to be able to talk and tell this story um, so anyways spend six days in neuro ICU or three days in neuro ICU then another three days at neuro to then start this long year and a half almost two year not I mean it was a battle but I was getting blood transfusions platelet transfusions talking bone marrow transplants, um, everything under the sun. They couldn't lifestyle pe- changes. Lifestyle change. Everything about it started this, okay, can't be on the road. But you were still on the road for a little bit. There. I was. So that's the crazy thing. That I guess when you, I'm stubborn in this way and I, it's taken me a long time and I'm still not great at it, but learning when to say, hey, I'm super tired. I need to shut down um, and understand that it's that time to move to relax and bring and eat better. Um, I then went, got back on the road a little bit and then even going through all this stuff, it was, I still deal with it today. It's not that it's gone away. It's just, I've been able to get off my meds. I've been able to make a major lifestyle change and eating and supplements. And I owe that all to my wife, Britt, 100%. She's the one that was the, she was in Bali at this time. Cause she was in Japan with you guys for, the worlds then she flew to bali she was supposed to be there for five days she was there for a day and a half i called her and was like hey i'm getting rushed to neuroi but like don't worry about it it should be fine she jumps on a plane right away at this time she's just my girlfriend flies all the way back (laughs) 50 some hours to find me laid up in a bed and i'm like answering emails and phone calls and she's like what are you doing like you stop stop, working stop like and it was such and I know I'm missing a bunch to the story and it then became this very hard long journey of parents going with me to the hospital myself going up back and forth and like I wasn't really able to drive I was and Britt then came on the road with me for a couple of times and she's like 100% because of her and the love of my family and all my friends and and other people that reached out and supported and felt the love of the industry I was so grateful that and that's what kept me going. And I never, uh, never did I, I knew I was the sick kid, but I never wanted to believe that I was the sick kid. And I, I still have more to prove in this life and I don't want to pass away. I don't want to die. I want to continue on and grow and have kids and pass the torch on and have all this and, and grow old with my, with my wife and, and grow old with my friends and my family. And it was such a crazy time that then took, I mean, I did, uh, looking back on it, I think I had like 62 transfusions between red blood and platelets over the span of like four months, which even they were like, we don't want to keep doing this. That's why 
bone marrow transplant came in and right at the week we were going to go to go in and start doing bone marrow transplant, which I don't know if you know much about bone marrow transplant or if anybody else out there does, but they basically, it's the same thing that you do for cancer. You kill off your bone marrow because what was happening, my body was eating the platelets and red blood cells faster than my body could produce it. The week we were getting ready to go, we'd already met with the transplant team that week. All of a sudden, another thing kind of switched. In a good way? In a good way. way. In a positive way. My levels stopped dropping out. They held. I mean, and you owe this to, like, because, and I know this because I, 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 I've, I have done some events with you post, um, you know, post the craziness for you. Um, I know you eat completely different. I know that you live completely different. Um, I don't think I've had a beer with you since 2018, since, since, uh, since I think, um, july of 2000 maybe yeah, june of 2000 probably was june of that that year because i was obviously the meds that i was on they're like hey don't don't drink the crazy thing was was as well as my doctors at this and i i owe the orlando regional medical center ormc and dr heitenberg and his whole team they saved my life no doubt about it 100 percent. but there's so much more to it than just that but um yeah changing lifestyle not drinking anymore um i've i've had I've had a cocktail here and there, um, but I definitely don't like I used to. I mean, the, the water sports industry can kind of be, um, can kind of have a, a fair amount of after you're done skiing um, cocktails every once in a while. But um, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's just for me, I, I, I had to stop and it was good. Um, the other crazy thing is it took me a while for me to adapt the new diet in. Um, but with the help of Britt and, and her research and my mom's research, but mainly Britt's research, they were like, Hey, we can combat this at different ways. Let's get you. And all I wanted to do was get off the meds. Cause I felt absolutely just horrible. I was on an immunosuppressant for over a year. I was on antibiotics for over a year. I was on this crazy new med that was called Promacta that was helping my bone marrow produce higher counts. But then on this other, I was, it was this cocktail of pills every day that I wanted to get off of. So we started then, Hey, what do we got to do? All right. Change my diet, change my lifestyle start being more mindful of what's going on. So then that's what I started basically doing. And, um, like I said, it was trying to slow down a little bit more And the, and the family at square one was like, Hey, what, what do we got to do to stand behind you? If we, if we maybe don't need to be on the road as much, but I want, I wanted to put my best foot forward. I wanted to be the best employee I could. And that's how I've always been. And I want to be, I guess it's that competitive side in me as well, but it's that drive and that's what I wanted to be as best as I can for everyone around me. And I put a lot of pressure on myself and I think you know this and I've been vocal with this, but I've put a lot of pressure on myself, but in return, it, it causes me to self combust. I have major depression things. I put too much pressure. I do, I carry too much weight. Um, so that's been a tough thing for me and anxieties and all that kind of stuff. And it's then, that kind of helped me understand that I needed to take that time back, try to slow down a little bit. And that's then ultimately what for me to fully give my health and my well-being a, a, the next chance was that's part of the reason why I had to step away from being a rep was spending too much time on the road. And I wanted to spend more time with the ones I love. And it was a very tough thing. And I, it chokes me up even now because the square one family was so amazing. They still are, but I needed to, and they're fully understanding. They're like, Hey, your health is number one. And they, they watched me go through this crazy whole ordeal and stood behind me. And it was amazing. And I am so forever grateful for them. Um, and it was not an easy decision, but I'm glad that 
they understood and I'm still great friends with all of them today and be able to then now transition and be home and have a 15 minute commute and be a part of this, be, be a part of the new action family has been awesome and still be a part of the industry, which is the best thing for me. And now being able to share that lifestyle and bringing families together and teaching and also helping people get out on the water and just grow the sport that gave me so much. So I'm very yep. fortunate. Well, and, and I can, and I would say as we transition to this, um, the final kind of thought of, of, of today's episode here is, um, you know, you, you've built up, you know, you were already a great athlete, but you know, physically you look, I, I have to say you look better than you have in a long time. Like, I, dude, I'm not saying you look yeah. bad, but oh, you, I, I was, I was bad there for a while. And you're, I, you're in great shape right now. Yeah. And, and mentally, um, you know, I never, but nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes, but I follow, um, your page and this is what I'm getting into the Olson project. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your charity efforts right now. And, yep. and I appreciate it big time. Cause there's days when you put up a quote and it's just like, dude, I needed that today. Yeah. I needed that. Um, and I think it's, I think it's so special. I think it's so cool because we are in this cool thing where, um, we're with the cool guys from every major lake from around the world. And a lot of times we're just with a lot of people who are just ultra confident. And if they do have any kind of issues, they're just amazing at keeping them tucked in yeah. or hidden away and stuff like that. So when, uh, when, when some of this, uh, you know, stuff that maybe may, the stuff that hurts a lot, that isn't a blown knee or, uh, you know, or a yanked shoulder or a dislocated shoulder or something like or a concussion or something like that. There's other, there's other stuff. So with that being said, I, I really hope that, um, you can tell us a little bit about the Olson project, um, your charity efforts, when, and when you started it all, what it's all about, what you're trying to do, where you're at. I know you recently had to cancel, um, yeah. your event. Um, yeah. that you had this year. I know last year I went to yep. your first major event. It was awesome. There was a lot of people, a lot of money was raised that yep. day. Tell us, tell us a little bit about um, the Olson Project, what it is and how people can get involved. Yeah, so the Olson Project came about, it is um, a family foundation that uh, myself and my family started, but mainly I'd always wanted to do it. I'd always, I loved doing the adaptive clinics. I loved giving back. I loved growing up and giving back as much as I can to people in need. And I always wanted to start my own non-for-profit, but you know, it's okay. What do you do it for? You don't really know. I don't really know. And during all of this crazy time of me going back and forth to the hospital and all this kind of stuff, I was like, actually, I know what I, this is it. It's, I'm going to help out other people that go through this same condition in this super rare autoimmune disease that I'm still going and finding out more, more information that now they're thinking that it's a different form of an autoimmune that less than 200 people and 250 people in the world have ever been diagnosed with. So, and trying to raise awareness for that with that, um, it was so funny because I was going in every couple of days to get my blood drawn and, or, and then platelets. So the, um, I don't know what their technical term is, but the lady that spins your blood and does all the tests, um, she comes out and she's like, Hey, I wanted to come meet you because everybody says you're so upbeat and you're so open and you're, you're going through all this crazy stuff and you're in here all the time and I'm seeing your name come across. And she probably knows your blood. Too. Oh, she knows me inside. She knows me and better than I do from that side of it. And she, then she goes, yeah, she goes, we nicknamed you the Olson project. And right at that point, I was like, that's the name that I want to use for, for, we kicked around a couple other names, but it was like the Olson project. Like how great is that? And so I, 
Um, so we named the, the foundation that way. And what the foundation mainly stands, stems from, there's two major areas in that we, that we focus on. It's autoimmune disease and then also men's mental health. Um, mental health as a whole, everybody deals with it, but men, as we know, don't speak about it. I still deal with, I still deal with opening up about it, but obviously now I'm better at it and it's, it helps me much more when I do speak about it and everybody does need to open up, but men have always internalized that you're supposed to be a big tough guy. Don't, don't speak your feelings. Like, no, you can speak your feelings. It doesn't make you a weaker person. It actually makes you a weaker person when you can't speak your feelings. So get out there, speak your feelings. But so you got two, two areas of it. Um, like you said, we did have to cancel our event this year because it was right at the beginning of COVID. And obviously with my autoimmune and everything else that was going on, we're like, you know, let's hold on this. So what we, what we did last year, we've done some really cool fundraisers. Like you said, you were at the first event and you're actually, and I got to say thank you for announcing that and doing the uh, auction. I know you'd never done an auction before, but I'm glad to get you out of your comfort zone sometimes. And, um, it was really cool because there's so many people that came out to it. Um, industry people, non-industry people. And we did raise a lot of money. And what we were able to do with that money is we were able to provide, um, over 34, uh, hospital transfer transportations. Cause a lot of people can't, they, they, they need, they need to get to the hospital, but they can't, they can't afford to get there. I was fortunate enough that I was in a position that I could still go, go to and from with the doctor, that kind of stuff. So we were able to get, um, 34 people that live greater than a hundred miles outside of the hospital, along with four commercial flights for family, for people and their families to go see specialists that they needed to go see, um, here within, and we were able to focus it. We worked with, uh, the mercy medical angels. They're a company out of, uh, Virginia beach that provide flights and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's what we were able to work with them on. And then we're also getting ready to still roll out a couple of more programs, um, as far as some gift bags and some other things for people in the hospital that are still dealing with, with crazy things. And especially now with COVID and, and the people that are on the front lines of everything. Um, so we're, I'm very fortunate that way that everybody banded together. We've done some other cool fundraisers with Movember within conjunction of Movember. Cause Movember was a big thing for me on opening up about my mental health and going and seeing and seeking help and all that kind of stuff for so years, even for, for years, years before, before, yeah, be, before the autoimmune stuff. And that's why the, men's mental health came into it was that's what opened me up and I still deal with it, but we're, I'm getting better and everybody's getting better and we're all expressing our feelings more. So the Olson project is a non-for-profit for autoimmune men's mental health and just raising awareness for, for those things and, and, and everything. And I, I owe a huge success to that, to my friends, my family, um, my wife, and because of people like you and people in the water sports industry and it being the family, we've been able to, um, raise quite a bit of money and we're, 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 the goal is to raise as much as we can and give as much as we can and keep going about it. And we're going to keep growing and it's going to get even bigger. So I'm super fortunate. And Very good. Well, during yeah. these like crazy times when we can't necessarily get together in large groups and raise money face to face, um, there are people who are willing to help out. So if anybody wants to support the Olson project or maybe even find out more information, do you have a website or Instagram or anything like yeah, that? Yeah. So the, it is the Olson project.com. Um, We've also got an online store there and some donations that you can do. We got some cool swag and some hats and different things that we do, um, along with, we're going to get ready to do some, um, 
we're still working on it, but we're going to try to get some virtual donation, like a virtual event type of type of thing together possibly. And then, um, just kind of keep growing it. But then the Instagram is the Olson project foundation. And then also on Facebook at the Olson project foundation. So it's been an amazing ride and it's nowhere from, from being complete and it's going to live on forever and very fortunate and very blessed to, to be able to have a foundation and have the support that I've had from, from everybody. So very good. All right. All right. Well, dude, that's it. We're down to the, my last three questions and these are the easiest ones. Well, okay. They should be, uh, social media shout outs and sponsors. Um, I obviously, I changed my Instagram name because of you. Oh, so. I was wondering why that <laughs> yes. changed. So I actually changed, I used to be just, I used to be Dan Olson or Dan underscore Olson or something like that. So I was like, actually, you know what? I'm going to, I changed it to the original Dano on Instagram. Um, Facebook is just Dan Olson. Um, and then any sponsors, none right now, but I do have to say a big thanks to Conley over the years. I got to give a big shout out to Jens and Stereo Skis when I was with them. Um, also, Ronix and Radar have been a major, major part of it. Um, and a lot of people that I know your parents do a lot. So my parents, my wife, those guys have been sponsors, we'll call it. They paid for a lot of gas. They paid for a lot of boats. I've been very fortunate, a lot of flights, a lot of coaching, um, very fortunate that way. Very good. And um, if anybody in central Florida wants to buy a Mastercraft or if anybody around the country or world wants to buy a used boat. Yeah, come on down uh, central Florida. We're here at Action. Um, definitely super fortunate to be be a part of this team and, and Barletta Pontoons as well. And we're going to keep growing and it's been, it's been a fun ride. And um, I just want to give a huge thank you to you, Dano. Um, I know it's been a crazy ride that we've had together in this journey. And I'm so fortunate to finally be on this podcast and, and kind of speak my story and go about it that way. But you, you're, you're on the forefront of a lot of innovative things and thank you for that, for the industry. And, um, I appreciate that. And the, in the drive and the passion, you can see it, you can see it in your, you being out on the water more and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a cool thing and keep doing what you're doing and we'll keep doing what we're doing and it'll it'll all work out there it is that's it dan thanks again brother this yeah. has been great thank you guys thank you to all the coaches thank you to all the listeners you know um thank you to my wife thank you to my family um all those inspirational people that have been out there and love you all and make sure you guys get out and have some fun on the water Oh, yeah. He's the original Dan O. That's Dan Olson. I'm Dan O. The Mano since 2004. Danny Amir, I guess, since 1982. But, uh, guys, hang tight. We'll be right back with a little bit more right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Oh, yeah. I think now is the right time to mention the Wake Responsibly Initiative. Guys, I know we've talked a lot about show skiing and freestyle jumping today, but no matter what you like to do on the water, make sure you do it responsibly. I want to see you minimizing those repetitive passes over any one shoreline for a certain period of time. Keep your music at reasonable levels and remember to stay at least 200 feet away from shorelines. Don't forget that there's a world that exists outside you and your boat and we're here to create some world peace. Hey guys, and remember to bring those life jackets with you too. And you know I'm talking about the real deal. Coast Guard approved life jackets to make sure everyone on your boat 
regardless of experience level, is able to stay safe. That's all I ask, folks. So let's make it happen. Become a Wake Responsibly ambassador for your lake today by heading over to wakeresponsibly.com and taking what I like to call the common sense quiz. And no water ski episode would be complete without mentioning the number one brand in the world of show ski. I'm, of course, talking about Conley. Conley jump skis are custom built, reliable, durable, and proven decade after decade. Go to any show ski event and I will give you a Dano the Mano Garantio that you will see Conley HC800 jumpers in the water and in the air. But hey, if show skiing isn't really your thing, guess what? Conley has got everything else you need to make sure you're having a good time up on the water. They've got wakeboards, surfboards, skis, tubes, floats, whatever you could possibly want. To see a full product catalog, visit www.connellyskis.com and make your summer more fun. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano. Guys, I know Dan mentioned the Olsen Project in our interview, but I wanted to bring it up one more time because I think it's super important. I strongly encourage all of you to head over to the OlsonProject.com, spelled O-L-S-O-N, project.com, and find out how you can donate and get involved with such a worthy cause by a very worthy person. Also, you guys can visit Dan over there at Action Water Sports in Central Florida if you're in the Orlando area and you're looking for that new Mastercraft. He has got you dialed. Thank you, Dan, for joining me here on the podcast. And, of course, all you've done and continue to do for the Toad Water Sports industry. Before I do wrap things up, I just wanted to mention that the Nautique WWA Wakeboard National Championships presented by GM Marine are coming up along with Wake Park Nationals and Wake Surf Nationals, Water Ski Nationals and Show Ski Nationals are all happening. And while I won't be able to make it out there in person, I still plan to follow the action, especially in the world of wakeboarding, on the WWA's Rideline app. So make sure you guys check that out. It is absolutely free on all smartphone devices. Just search WWA Rideline. Speaking of events, the Supra Boats Pro Wake Tour will be making its third digital stop on August 10th through the 14th. Our friend and guest on last week's podcast, Tyler Hyam, is currently sitting in third place overall. Sean Silvera is looking pretty good as well. I'll be announcing the event digitally, so be sure to head on over to the website www.prowakeboardtour.com. To catch all the action, see the results, and for those of you tuning in post-event, don't be afraid to go back and see all the archived events, including this year's and last year's as well. They've got them all up there. The crew from Supra is doing an awesome job. If you guys are looking to compete in something this summer or early this fall, look no further than our first ever TL Cornfest 2020 Lake Lovers Challenge, and anyone can enter, and it's free, and all you need to do is share your summer with us via social media. If you're having a summer lake adventure, cleaning up trash around a local beach, landing a new trick, or just having an epic shred session, 
take a picture, record some footage, make an edit, and share it with us by tagging TL Cornfest on Instagram, Twin Lakes Cornfest on Facebook, and make sure to use the hashtag Lake Lovers Challenge. We're awarding over a dozen prizes to the best overall photos and videos of the summer. And believe me, guys, when I tell you that they are worth it. A lot of good stuff there. To learn more about the official rules and find out all the sponsors, check out the website tlcornfest.com. Follow us on Facebook at Twin Lakes Cornfest and on Instagram again at tlcornfest for all the latest news and just some awesome content in general. And for those of you who are asking, we have got J.B. O'Neill coming up on the next episode of the Golden Mike Podcast. And for a sneak peek, you guys should check out J.B. O'Neill's YouTube page. I'm sure you've already seen it, but if you haven't, watch the video titled World's Smallest Wake. It's me, J.B., and John Dryling all being towed by my classic-style ski boat. I could only be talking about that 96 Ski Brandella, baby. Yeah. All right. Well, another enormous thank you to the original Dano, Dan Olson, for joining us and to all the sponsors of this podcast for their continued support. Thanks to SeaDeck Marine Products, WSIA, Roswell Marine, Active Water Sports, Masterline, Centurion Boats, O'Brien, Ledwake, Slingshot, Conley, Radar, Boulder Boats, Ronix, Hyperlight, GoPuck, and Midcoast Customs. Behind the scenes, a special thanks. To Jane Levy in the office, Arthur Shevashevich on copy, and Rich Walsh on sound. That's it. That's all for me, folks. Just a reminder, you can follow me on Facebook at The Golden Mike Podcast, and of course on Instagram at Dano T. Mano. Message me there or through regular old email, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. And now that you're done with the episode, please head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts to leave a five-star review. I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. As always, I am the Noise of the North. Oh, yeah, Dan of the Mano. And you can hear me next time once again right here on the Golden Mike Podcast, baby.